Thank you. You may be seated. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we're returning to the Gospel of Matthew. We're working our way through, albeit slowly at some times, through the Gospel of Matthew, focusing on uh, the different, different texts that we come across as Matthew kind of lays out his discipleship manual. And this morning, we want to consider how the kingdom of God came and is coming through the working of the Spirit. The Spirit of God worked in and through the life, the preaching, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And if we hold Jesus to be the exemplar, to be the model for all things, and rightfully so, then what does the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus teach us about what we ought to expect and what we ought to seek in our own life? The last time we were in Matthew, a few weeks ago, we looked at the passages before and we saw that Jesus was God's chosen servant. If you remember, we looked at verses 15 through 21 of Matthew chapter 12 and we said Jesus was God's chosen servant out of Isaiah 42, and he brings justice, and he's establishing a kingdom, and the nations would hope in him. And in our text this morning, we're continuing this theme of chosenness. These texts come right after each other, right? We're, we're following the logic here. And the chosenness of Jesus continues in this account where Jesus heals a man who is deaf, and who cannot speak, he's deaf, uh, he's blind and mute, excuse me, he's blind and he cannot speak. And what does that say about Jesus' chosenness? Because he says in verse 18, I will put my spirit on him. And then we see how this claim is validated and approved or uh, verified in what Jesus does. If you look... At verse 22, let's start there. Let's read through the text. We're going to look at verses 22. Really, we're going to focus on verses 32 through 30 this morning. It says, Then a demon-possessed man, who was blind and unable to speak, was brought to him, that is Jesus, and Jesus healed him. All the crowds were astounded and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Verse 26, If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. 
Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text this morning, God, help us to see the many areas where uh, we see Jesus relying exclusively on the Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you bring places in our hearts and in our mind and in our will where we are not fully relying on you? God, open this text to us to see Jesus in all his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in verse 22, Jesus is approached by a demon-possessed man. He's brought to Jesus. He's blind and unable to speak. And I love how Matthew just says he healed him. Just so matter-of-factly, as if this was nothing really extraordinary. But it is extraordinary. But Jesus, Matthew records this not only to show that Jesus is the chosen one, that he's the Messiah, but also to... uh, give a a account of the antagonistic response of the Pharisees. Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and it's a complete healing because it says after that he healed him so that the man could both speak and see. And I think Matthew leaves it to us to assume and to conclude that not only has Jesus healed him, but Jesus has cast out the demon that had possessed this man. And so it's a complete healing. It's a physical and spiritual type of healing. Jesus does this great work. And and the question we want to answer this morning is how? How does Jesus do this? Have you ever wondered about how Jesus does the miracles, the things that he does? You might assume Jesus is doing this of his own power. I mean, he is God. He's the creator. He's the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things exist. But this morning we get an answer to the question of how in our text because our text gives us two theories. There are two possible theories for how Jesus is able to do his mighty works and specifically how he is able to heal this man. The first theory is proposed by the crowd in verse 23. We might call this the Davidic theory. It says in verse 23, all the crowds were astounded. They were amazed. They were shocked. It's a very strong word that's used here. They were absolutely flabbergasted at what they've seen. So much so that they say, could this be the son of David? They're not really sure, but they're open to the possibility. Is this the son of David? And that's a loaded question. Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that we've been waiting for? Is this the promised one? And that's exactly what Matthew has just said and Jesus has just said in the previous passage, right? That this is the chosen one. Here is my chosen servant in verse 18. So one theory is that Jesus is able to do this because he's the Messiah. He's the son of David. Now what's going on here? Why why ask the question, could this be the son of David? Well, perhaps the people are thinking about that story in 1 Samuel 16 you go there and you look at it remember Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit and David would come and he would play his lyre and he would soothe Saul's uh, spirit and he would find relief and in 1 Samuel 16 23 it says the evil spirit would leave Saul so here Jesus is portrayed by Matthew as kind of another David he he works and the spirit leaves the evil spirit leaves just like David So the first possibility, the first theory is that he is the son of David. He's the Messiah. But there's another theory. 
And we find that with the Pharisees in verse 24. They hear that the crowds are connecting Jesus to David. And, well, obviously to them that's not good, right? Because that would mean that he really is the Messiah. And that the people think he's the Messiah. So their theory, the second theory, is not a Davidic theory, but a demonic theory. Look at what they say. When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Now, I wish we could have been there when they said that. I would love to have seen the look on people's faces after this miracle that Jesus does. And the Pharisees' only explanation is, He drives out demons by the help of the prince of demons. I wonder... Did anybody like look at them like, really? Or, you know, like, like if you saw somebody wearing banana pants, would you just kind of like, what is going on here? Like, was there that kind of look? Because it sounds silly. And Jesus really, he, he dismantles this. But, but let's, let's unpack what they're really saying. And then we'll talk about Jesus's response. So they say he helps it. Uh, Beelzebul is happening. Now, who is Beelzebul? To the Pharisees, he is the ruler of the demons. He's the prince, the lord of demons. And so what they're really trying to do is, is prove Jesus' guilt by association, right? Like that's who's helping him, so obviously he is not to be approved. But what they're really saying is that the power behind Jesus, the, the muscle behind Jesus' work is not divine power, but demonic power. That's a very serious claim. And so which is it? Is it that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah? Is he a Davidic Messiah or is he a demonic minion? Is he someone who is just under the sway and control of the Lord of demons? Well, what does the text tell us? Well, we get our first hint of an answer when we get to verse 25 because what does it say? It says, knowing their thoughts, right? You know who knows people's thoughts? God. Right, So already we've got a hint at, well, no, maybe it's not demonic. Maybe this is something else going on here. And so Jesus displays this omniscience. He knows the thoughts of the Pharisees. And notice, it's not just that he knows what they said because he heard the Pharisees. Matthew doesn't say like he knows what they were thinking because he heard what they said. No, he knew their thoughts, the things that nobody else could hear. He knew why they were saying what they were saying. He knew all of it. And then Jesus takes up their accusation and dismantles it. So, think of it this way. I was challenged yesterday. The Pharisees float this balloon up there <laughs> that, that Jesus is operating by demonic power. And you know what Jesus does? He shoots it down. Right? All right. Verse 25, we begin to see that Jesus tells them, he says, Okay, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive... Well, let's just stop there at verses 25 and 26, okay? So... Jesus shows how what they're saying is not true. And in, in some sense, they know it's not true. 
But one of the reasons it's not true is it's a losing strategy for Satan. And it's not only a losing strategy, but what I want you to understand is that it's inconsistent with his character. Understand this, Satan is so prideful, so arrogant, that for him to willingly take a loss is beyond the scope of his character. He, you understand, right, Satan was someone who exalted himself. He, he is this unbridled pride and arrogance and lust. You think that pride would operate in such a way that he would be a detriment to his own character, his own reputation, to his... No, no, no. So he's not going to operate against himself such that his kingdom is divided and would not stand. But even common sense, Jesus says... If I was operating under the influence of Satan and I was casting out Satan, we're defeating ourselves here. We're fighting a losing battle. So it's not only an issue of strategy, but notice what he says in verse 27. He says, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? Right? So it's an indictment on others. So if the Pharisees had their own followers, right? They're, they're so closely following the Pharisees that Jesus calls them what? He says, by whom do your sons drive them out? So the Pharisees have disciples who are so closely following the Pharisees that they're called their sons. And Jesus says, if they're doing that, who are they doing it by? If you're going to say, I'm doing it by demonic power, who are your sons doing it by? And that's why he says what he says. They will be your judges. Either you have to be consistent and say that they're doing it by demonic power as well. So they are the litmus test. Your own followers. They will be your judges. So it would seem then that Jesus has proven really that this demonic theory has no validity. And, and on further inspection, it's wrong and it's empty. By whom? Notice Jesus says, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, then by whom? Right? That's the real question. By whom? By what power is Jesus doing what he's doing? It's the how. How is Jesus doing this? It is by a person, it is by a spiritual entity, but it is not by Satan. There is another way to interpret the facts of Jesus' healing and what he does in his preaching ministry. By whom is the work of Jesus empowered? Jesus tells us in verse 28, If I drive out the demons by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So here's the alternative, alternative explanation. It's not by Satan, but by the Spirit. It's not a demonic spirit, but a divine spirit, the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus asked this question, but he's also making a statement in verse 28. He's saying that he is doing all his work by the Spirit of God. If I'm doing this by the Spirit of God, he says in verse 20, then the kingdom has come upon you. The kingdom has come in power and in glory. The kingdom has come in a unified power and glory. And so, 
the work that Jesus does is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus cast out the demon and he heals the man by the power of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit in and through Christ is bringing the kingdom. And so in Christ, by the Spirit, the kingdom of God has come upon them. And what I want you to understand is that what Jesus is, is not saying is that he's not saying that on certain occasions he busts out the Holy Spirit when he needs to. The Holy Spirit's not like, you know, uh, guys, let's all admit, right? You see something that you need to loosen or you need to unscrew. Your first instinct is to try it without WD-40 first, right? <laughs> Only when you absolutely need it, when you've tried everything else, then you go and you say, okay, let's bust out the WD-40, right? That, that's not how Jesus approaches the Spirit. No, everything that Jesus is doing is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus has his own power because he is God, the second person of the Trinity, but so does the Spirit, and they operate in divine triune unity. We might say triunity, such that when Jesus works, it's always by the power of the Spirit. And in doing so, he's bringing the kingdom of God to bear and so what we've seen so far in this morning, what I hope you'll remember, if you remember nothing else, is this. This is the big idea, okay? Jesus is the Messiah who establishes the kingdom through the power of the Spirit. I think that summarizes well what we've seen. Could he be the son of David? Absolutely he is. He's the Messiah. And he works by the power of the Spirit to bring the kingdom. Now, if we stop right there, that automatically places upon us the need to realize that Jesus could have used so many other systems, programs, plans, but he relies on the Spirit. Jesus is the Messiah who establishes the kingdom through the power of the Spirit. Notice how Jesus Jesus uses this imagery of breaking into a strong man's house in verse 29. He says, How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus is saying, I've come to establish the kingdom. I've come to, to do the great work, but there is someone who needs to be tied up so that he can be plundered. And how is Jesus doing that? By the Spirit. Then we get to verse 30. So he's doing this by the Spirit. But, but we want to, I want to go one step further because look at what he says in verse 30. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. So what does Jesus mean by that? Well, it's not just that Jesus establishes the kingdom by the Spirit. I want to add one little word. Jesus establishes the kingdom by the Spirit alone. By the Spirit alone. He says, anyone who is not with me is against me. What does he mean? Jesus says, this is how I roll. I establish the kingdom by the power of the Spirit. That's it. If you want to join with me, if you want to be a part of it, you need to understand up front that this is me. 
And if you don't want to do it by the Spirit, or if you want to try some other means, you are stepping outside of what I have established and what I do and how I do it, and so that you're no longer with me, but against me. And the Pharisees are against him, right? Obviously, they, they assign the work of the Spirit to demonic activity, but it can be much more subtler than that. How can we be against Jesus? Maybe not in the extreme, like assigning demonic activity to Jesus, but, but what's a way that we might be against him? Well, it happens when we say things like, yes, the Spirit, but. Have you ever thought that? Yes, we want the Spirit to do X, Y, Z in our church, but. No, 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 no. If Jesus establishes the kingdom by the Spirit, that's it. Like, yes, there are things that we can do that the Spirit is more likely to bless and He's more likely to use, but, but the Spirit decides and, and the Spirit gets to move and the Spirit is sovereign. So one of the ways that we might fall into being against Jesus is when we actually try to do what only the Spirit can do. And if we try to do what only the Spirit can do, are we not setting ourselves up against Christ? It's by the Spirit alone. Jesus draws, draws this line in the sand. He's saying, I operate by the Spirit. Either you understand that and agree with that, and you rally to me and the Spirit. It's a package deal. He says, or you're against me. There's no being for the Son and not the Spirit. Or for the Spirit and not the Son. So don't miss this. He establishes it by the power of the Spirit, the kingdom of God. Everything Jesus does is by the Spirit. And notice how unifying this is. And anyone, verse 30, anyone who does not gather with me scatters. You realize once we, once we abandon trusting the Spirit of God to accomplish the establishment of the kingdom, that's when we all scatter in different directions on modes and methods and programs for doing what only the Spirit can do. Whereas we could all come together and say, we're trusting the Spirit of God to build Poplar Spring. We're trusting the Spirit to do what only He can do, to deepen His disciples, to make people into the image of Christ. Once we abandon that, that's when we start saying, and here's how this phrase goes, if we would just, if we would just have a better this, our church would grow. If we would just do this. So when Jesus says, anyone who is not gathering to me scatters, you see how the Spirit provides this unifying trust for the church that he's going to establish the kingdom. The Spirit of God is going to do it. He's going to do it in us and through us. Jesus is the Messiah who establishes the kingdom through the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit alone. The question is, how will we respond to Jesus' works and His ways? The Spirit does this. He operates this way to make much of Christ, to bring glory to Jesus. Will we look at what Jesus does and cast it aside? Will we look at what Jesus does and say, we know a better way, we can do it, better we have better technology we have better resources or will we see how jesus trusts the spirit of god to do 
that which only the Spirit of God can do. There are a couple ways that we need to be careful, and I should say we should be quick to understand the role of the Spirit. First of all, the Spirit is the only way that the kingdom of God found a home in your heart. Before the Spirit of God did a great work in your life, you were dead in your sins. You were no different than the man in this text. You were blind to the truth of the gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded them from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's only when the Spirit removes the scales and the Spirit makes us alive that we actually spiritually become like this man where we now see It's only by the Spirit that we see Jesus as the Savior. Where we come to Him in faith and repentance. When we trust Him for salvation. So, first of all, we have begun in the Spirit. So, you were brought into the kingdom by the Spirit. If you are a believer this morning, if you've trusted Christ for your salvation, that was a work of the Spirit, exercising power, To bring the kingdom here on earth in you. So then I go back to that passage in Galatians 3. I believe it's Galatians 3. um, I think it's 3.3. Where Paul says, having begun in the spirit, will you now be perfected in the flesh? So if we understand that our salvation is only a work of the spirit. That we're dead in our sins unless we're made alive. And that's something only the spirit can do. Then when it comes to sanctification and when it comes to the life of the church, do we now say we're going to take it upon ourselves now to do what really only the Spirit of God can do? And so how does does the Spirit of God work in, uh, in us and through us to establish the kingdom? I want to give you two answers. Number one is through Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered proclamation. What does Paul say in Romans 10? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You say, how has has the triune God established it such that the spirit of God brings the kingdom to bear in and through believers, in and through the church? One of the primary ways is through preaching. Through proclamation. And not just me standing up here. But if you think of proclamation as declaring, when you share the gospel with someone, the good news that Christ died in the place of sinners, he took our punishment and he rose again. When that word goes out, the spirit of God goes out too and he transforms hearts. And so God has so set up this whole enterprise that that one of the ways that the kingdom of God is brought in the power of the Spirit is if we share the gospel, if we preach the gospel, if we declare the gospel, if we make much of Christ and rely on the Spirit. You say, is it really that simple? Yes. If we would be Christ-centered... And spirit empowered. You realize, think of it this way. The more, can the Holy Spirit operate outside of certain boundaries that we might try to put on him? Absolutely. Could, could the Holy Spirit work through 
a sermon that is just, if I could put it this way, absolutely dreadful to listen to? Yes. The Spirit absolutely can do that. But is it not more likely that a sermon, that a life that is dripping, that a mouth, a conversation that is dripping Jesus? In other words, instead of only having one track for the Spirit to to travel down, what if there were so many? What if we increased the likelihood? What if we talked more about Jesus in our homes, in our workplace? What if we talked more about Jesus in our Bible studies, in our small groups? A Christ-centered, a Christ-centered life will be a Spirit-empowered life because the Spirit will desire and enjoy making much of Jesus. Does that make sense? Can He do that apart from us talking about Jesus? He can and He does. He does it all around the world. But, but what if we provide Him ample opportunity to do that? So it's not just Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered proclamation But the second way that he brings it to bear is Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered living. Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered living. You know what this is. I don't have to explain it to you. It's the fruits of the Spirit. It is a life that is growing where it can be said of our life, I am decreasing and He is increasing. It's a life that is more and more thinking about itself less and less and more thinking about Christ dwelling on Jesus, seeking His will, walking in His way, learning His word, doing what He says to do. So Spirit-empowered proclamation, Spirit-empowered living. Now here is where we have to be careful. Because if you hear me say spirit-empowered living, immediately you start to think, I have to live in spirit-empowered living so that the kingdom of God comes to bear. But can I suggest something? Let's have a little grammar discussion, okay? You remember in grammar school, you learned about subjects and verbs, right? You have the subject of the sentence, you have the verb of the sentence, and then you have prepositions like to, on, by, through, with, right? You remember those? Okay. All right. I hope you do. All right. So, let me suggest to you, when you think about in spirit-empowered living, don't make yourself the subject of the sentence. Understand that you are a preposition. What I mean by that is instead of saying, I have to live an empowered life so so that I can be used by the Spirit... You're the subject of that sentence, right? Instead, what if you thought of spirit-empowered living through you, by you? Jesus is establishing the kingdom. He is still doing what he did when he walked the earth. He's doing it by the power of the Spirit. You remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, right? Jesus is still doing that. He is still establishing the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit and the Spirit alone. But what's changed now is that we add that little phrase, Through you. 
So understand, it's not so much about what you're doing to make the Spirit operate, but, but being willing to let the Spirit operate through you. Do you see the difference? I hope you do. And if not, come talk to me afterwards, and, and maybe I can explain it better. But the point here is not that we, we take this... My concern is that we take this... My concern is that you do the exact opposite of what I hope you do as a result of this sermon. The Spirit of God is the power. And if we, we hear this message and you start saying, I have to have the power to allow the Spirit to be powerful, that's an oxymoron. That, that doesn't make any sense. But instead, having that heart posture and that willingness to say, Spirit, use your power through me. That's, what, that's the difference. Do you see what I mean? One is, one is slavery. One is freedom. One is a burden and the other is an easy yoke. One is we're trying to do what the Spirit can do. The other is we're letting the Spirit do what it can do through us. And so Jesus is establishing this kingdom. The question we want to ask is how can he establish that kingdom by his Spirit through me? Maybe there's places in your heart and your life where you know the Spirit has been trying to establish the kingdom of Christ in your heart and your life, but you've been resistant and he has not been able to do it through you. Maybe there's someone that you know God wants you to share the gospel with. He wants to extend that kingdom through you, but you've been resistant and disobedient. Maybe there's an area in your life where you know Christ is not king, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in how you spend your free time, whatever it is, and the Spirit is not establishing the kingdom through you because the kingdom is not established in you. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You don't know Jesus. Listen, what you need to understand is that there is no talk about the Spirit in you and through you. Because Jesus came to establish a kingdom. And you're either with him or against him. And if you're against him, there's no hope of the Spirit establishing a kingdom of God within you apart from. It's, you can't know enough that the kingdom is established in you. You can't be good enough that the kingdom is established in you. The only hope you have for salvation is to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. The Bible says that your sins have made you an enemy of the kingdom. That you are separated from God and separated from the kingdom such that you are enemies of God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He went to a cross where the punishment for your sin was poured out on Him. And He took all of it and He died. And the death He died, He died for you. And for me, the punishment for your sin is death. And Jesus died that death. But he rose again three days later. And a sign and an assurance that the kingdom of God would be established one day. And the kingdom of Satan would be put to an end. So for you who don't know Christ, what is there left for you to do today? It's come to Christ. Believe in him for salvation. Maybe the Spirit is working on you. You've never wanted to do that, but, but maybe today you do. If you do, I pray that you would do that. Don't delay. Don't wait. Come talk to me after the service. 
Come talk to me when we have a time of response, and I'd be happy to explain how you can have that relationship with the one true God through Jesus Christ. But again, the question that we all want to leave here on our minds is, Jesus is establishing the kingdom. How does he want to establish the kingdom and the power of the Spirit through you today and this week? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that your Spirit works in us and among us, even now as, as the, the message has been shared, God, you've, you've brought things to people's minds, you've, you've helped them to see, God, where they need to apply what they've heard, and your word never returns without accomplishing what you sent it out to do. And so, Lord, we thank you that the kingdom of God is a sure thing. It will come in its fullness. It is being established by the power of the Spirit. And God, what a joy and a privilege we have to be able to participate in that. Show us, Lord, where you want to establish the kingdom through us by the power of the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.